Hey, Caitlin, can you play the music and the tape that goes the start of the show? No. What What do you mean, no? No, I just can't do it. Sorry. What do you mean? I have other things going on. I mean, unless you want to sweeten the pot somehow. Alex, can you give her 20 bucks? I I'm not going to give her 20 bucks. She's bribing us. Just do it, man. It's going to take forever otherwise. All right, fine. Here you go. All right, now you can have it. <laughs> we have been losing jobs on the order of about 200000 per month in the last couple of months. We think a year from now, companies will be adding about 200,000 jobs per month. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is November 23rd. That is my anniversary, my wife and I. Oh, that is great. I'm Alex Bloomberg, and I'd like to um, dedicate this podcast to you and your wife. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was Lynn Reeser, you heard at the top, president of the National Association for Business Economics, NABE. And she was saying that economists her group represents are optimistic about the job market turning around, and let's hope they're right. Today on the podcast, Alex, I have found the solution to public radio's problems. I have found a way to fund this great organization so we will not need to beg our listeners anymore. And the answer came to me in this email. Here, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Attention, sir. First, I must <laughs> solicit your strictest confidence in this transaction. You have been recommended by a reliable source that assured me in confidence of your ability and reliability to prosecute a transaction involving a large sum of money. Alex is from the Nigeria National Petroleum Corporation, and if I help them, they're going to wire me $135 million. <laughs> I, think I've, I think I've seen that email. It was sent to me. <laughs> if you haven't picked up on our subtle clues, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about scams, corruption, in particular in Nigeria. Uh, I imagine a lot of you out there have seen that email, the one from somebody from Nigeria, either a Nigerian bank or a Nigerian prince assuring you riches if you just do this one favor. But how many of us actually know what's on the other side of that email? It's very surprising. And we'll hear all about it later on the podcast. But first, our Planet Money indicator, it is 10.1%. And that is the increase in the number of homes sold in October compared to the previous month. Now, analysts were expecting a jump, but this was even jumpier than the analysts expected. I was reading uh, Bloomberg News, and you know how they survey analysts and they publish a range of estimates? Yeah. There's always one analyst who's like crazy optimistic. <laughs> right, yeah. This was actually higher than the crazy optimistic projection. Right, and the stock market shot up more than a percent after the news hit. The new numbers come from the National Association of Realtors. An economist there said people were rushing to buy houses before the first-time homebuyer tax credit expires although that tax credit was just extended. Um, but this is before people knew it was going to be extended, also because interest rates were very low. Still, it's seen as a positive sign for the housing market, the very thing that dragged us down this hole in the first place. Now, the United States, you can say what you will about our role in the financial crisis. One thing we can be proud of is that we do not have a corruption problem here. One of the reasons I think Caitlin, our notwithstanding. Okay, not a big problem. <laughs> okay, um, right. One of the reasons our country, you know, is is one of the most productive and successful economies on the planet is that anyone who wants to start a business here or come to live here, they, they know what the rules are. You don't have to bribe lots of officials to get a building permit. You don't compete for a government contract and then find the guy in charge gives the job to his cousin instead. You know, we, do, we don't have a big corruption problem. Yeah, actually, I looked at the International Corruption Index, which you can find online, and it ranks countries by how corrupt they are perceived to be. And the U.S., is not at the top of that list. It's the 19th least corrupt country in the world. 
And actually, you know, we, we think the bottom of the list is much more interesting. And today we are going to go way down the list to Nigeria because corruption is the sort of thing that can really hold a country back economically. And it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult to get rid of. So, Alex, you and I talked with one man who tried to help rid his country of it, Nuhu Ribadu. He was the chairman of the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission in Nigeria from 2003 to 2007. Nuhu has been fighting crime in in Nigeria for several decades. He started as a police officer in 1985, and then he became a prosecutor before he eventually went to head this commission in 2003. And he had some success fighting corruption in Nigeria for a while anyway. We asked him to tell the whole story. And he started by giving us just a sense of how pervasive corruption was in Nigeria when he took over the commission in 2003. If you go there, the life, uh, the way people live, the way we govern ourselves, the way we manage ourselves, is almost all controlled by corruption, literally taking over the entire engine of the uh, society. Uh, and, uh, of course, it affected our growth, our development, and our inability to solve our own problems. Uh, that was the state of things. And, and now, when you, about, when you say it literally took over our, our, our lives, what does that mean? How does it feel? Like if I'm a shopkeeper, say, in Lagos or... or uh, it ha- simply means whatever you are going to do, chances you are going to be confronted with bribery and corruption. Someone is out there, wherever you are, any point of contact... Someone is trying to take something from you. Someone is taking advantage of his own position, whether he's in public office or in power or an authority person or even a taxi driver or a motor park operator or probably a school teacher or even a health attendant. Wherever chances are, somebody is going to, for whatever service, you are likely going to pay extra than what is normal and ordinary. Mm-hmm. So how how did this, this this commission, the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission, how did it start? You 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 were so well. First of all, the EFCC, the establishment of EFCC itself came as a result of pressure from outside, from the international community, and there is a small body of uh, the G seven mm-hmm. uh, called FATA, Financial Action Task Force, that was uh, mandated to you know oversee the enforcement. Uh, of anti-money laundering law across the world. And uh, they suddenly became strong and alert and uh, to their own responsibilities after the September 11, when the world realized that you needed to control money laundering for you to be able to fight terrorism and other criminal activities. So countries like Nigeria were picked out to improve their own money laundering regime. And if the failure to do so will, of course, mean they are going to be penalized. Uh, so we were blacklisted, which means we are too completely out of the financial sector of the world. You could not do transact business with the rest of the world. So we were forced to come up with a new anti-money laundering regime and then also set up a commission, an agency to enforce that uh, uh, law. And that's how... Uh, I got uh, to be the pioneer chairman to establish it, and and then I ran it for about four or five years. Um, so okay, so just just describe how, how do you go about doing that? That's a pretty tall order, right? You went, at, we you went, went after, after s- s- scammers for for one, right? I went after the fraudsters. That was the one. The scammers, uh, they were easy target because they were not the public guys, and the, then they the were not the people with authority. The fraudsters, yes. you mean people the who fraudsters. send like the, the email the scammers, scams, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. those guys that sent le- these very embarrassing letters from Nigeria across the world. Saying, I'm a Nigerian you, prince and I, if you, I have this money, it. yeah. 
Yeah, very, very ingenious, very <laughs> horribly bad guys who m made a mess of our own image. Uh, and they got away with it for a long period. So they were the guys that I first went after. And I, I, I literally w picked almost all the known ones. And the, before then, uh, they were li literally like celebrities. They were the big guys in the society. They were the ones who were sponsoring people into public office. They were the ones with convoys, with big cars, and then will occupy front seats in a, uh, ceremonial things and uh, social events and so on. So uh, I went after them. Wait, wait a minute. I, I wait a minute. I, I, you're saying that the people, the people who on, on, in, in, in America we know basically as the people who send these email scams saying I'm, I'm a Nigerian bank or I'm a Nigerian nobleman or whatever – those people in Nigeria, they were like living the lives of like gangsters and things. They had big, lots of money very and much. were rolling like that. Wow. Very, very, very. Because they made so much money. It's amazing if you know how much money those guys got. They, they, they were pretty much successful. How much and, did they get? Uh, well, uh, I mean, rough, I, uh, within a short period of time, we were able to recover as much as about $750 million. $750 million. Uh, $750 million. And that is not all, small. All taken from people across the world, ordinary. All over the world. All over the world it was happening. Yes. <laughs> I think they took the most from, amazingly, I mean, surprisingly, from the Latin America. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. so, were you, so you recovered $750 million from these guys and put, and yes, put them behind, in, behind bars? Uh, we got them, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, we recovered substantially. Of course, it's not possible to take everything. Uh, they must have spent and wasted so much part of it. But we got fairly big, and then we identified the individuals, I mean the, the victims, and we traced them across the world. Some of them, of course, were already in contact, and, and we, we returned the, whatever we could get. And of course, internally as well, there are people who are also duped and cheated and so on. So we do, we have returned most of that. And then we got them through the justice process, got them convictions, they served jail terms. I believe a lot of them are still in prison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, who I, I, I read yeah. there was this email scam that was done in your name saying basically, oh, hi, I run the seven. Economic and Fi Financial Crimes Commission. We have yeah. some money to return to you. So someone tried yeah. to use oh, a you lot. for a new scam. A lot. You know, they were just picking any name that was making like noise and uh, making waves around and across. Uh, uh, and, and my name was certainly that at one point and so And they knew that the work I was doing involved also recovery of money. So it could easily be a good name to use. But we got several of them convicted using my name. Yeah. You got some of those guys. Yes, they have, we have got several new Ribadus convicted. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, when when you're going after somebody who you you said that these guys who were running these scams, they were pretty pretty big deal guys. They had lots of money. They were flashing around town. You know, yes, that is sad part. When you have a breakdown of society and values and morals, you know, everything just turned upside down. And then those who, the bad people will turn out to be the ones who are more or less celebrated. And I think it's not too different, for example, the gangsters in those days in the U.S. Right. Uh, and, and from nowhere, they will make so much money and use the money to almost take over everything. Bribe the law enforcement, bribe the judiciary, become friends with the people in authorities, own clubs. And then, you know, run sometimes even legitimate business and so on. Uh, they, they are just like that. And they became very normal in a society that was very tolerant 
for everything that was in that uh, behavior. Was it, was it actually easier to do uh, law enforcement in this environment because the criminals were so used to nobody actually pursuing them that they were a little bit more brazen than they would have been otherwise? I mean, to some extent, yes, because it will make. I mean, it will not be too difficult in terms of getting evidence. They they didn't have to bother about sophistication or hiding or making it really difficult. No, at the initial stage, no. But it's also the most dangerous place to be a law enforcement because uh, for money uh, you can get things done anything including of course knocking anybody and if someone refused to be a corrupt person there will always be another way to take care of him and mm-hmm. handle it yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so okay so so after so you start with the scammers and that's sort of a strategic move on your part just to sort of build momentum right for, for the crime fighting it was a soft yeah. target it was a good way to introduce myself it's a way to also win support because the public were not in support of that uh-huh. and then it was also something that could easily make us known across the world that there is something new fresh taking place in Nigeria it was a good way to start. And then, and then, how, where did you go from there? Then you started going after people within the government and and, and yeah. And then gradually, I built like a ladder steps, and uh, I was going step by step. I, 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 from that point, of course, I went after uh, businessmen who are, who are compromising the whole system, smugglers. I mean, for example, those who do not pay taxes and so on. And I, I graduated to going after banks executives, chief of, of banks who are taking depositors' money and then um, destroying the entire private sector. And then uh, from there, I, I started going after government institutions and agencies that are critical for, to the economy. And then I finally graduated to the big guys, that was the politicians, and then the powerful, powerful. Yeah. So t- tell me about James Ibori. James is one of the chaps that we got eventually towards the end because he was a governor a governor of one of the Niger Delta states. Uh, he was a governor for about eight years. And uh, he he was one of those really exceptional in terms of the corruption problem. Uh, he was living larger than life. And he was converting or diverting most of the money going to his state. And it's a very rich state. It's a state in the Niger Delta that got so much money within a short period of time. But most of it ended up in his own private uh, pocket. So... Uh, we, 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 we brought him to justice, but he was a very powerful guy. And in the course of bringing him to justice, it was a very, very difficult thing. He tried everything you can imagine to stop that. Indeed, of course, involved, I mean, to the point of giving me money. He gave me $15 million cash in $100, $100 bills uh, to stop the investigation. I used the money, took it from him, used it as evidence, charged him in court, and then put the money in the central bank of Nigeria. Will you, de- will you describe how how that happened? How he offered you the money and then how you got it? So uh, he he gave me. He called me. He said that this money is available for me. I said, "What for?" Basically, he said, "It's for you. Whatever it takes for us to solve this problem, we have to just solve it." So I called my own staff. Uh, about I suppose four of them, three, four of them to come over uh, and then uh, pretended to be just like my own uh, 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 assistants or private uh, individuals who are close to me, personal personal people. And then they took the money right in front of him. uh, And then as they took it, they, they, they just went straight to Central Bank of Nigeria, got the money counted, 
and then deposited it and then took a receipt. And we have the receipt with us. And of course, after that, I even tried to get James to come over. Okay, James, let's talk about this thing. We have taken the money. Can, what next do we do? You know, you cannot just take money without having some explanations. He refused until when we had to forcefully take him in and then charge him to court. And and so and 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 then what happened was he was he he was convicted. We was charged to court, mm-hmm. but sadly, few days after that, I was asked to vacate the office, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the beginning of the troubles that I have had. And right. he is extremely a very powerful guy even now in the country. Yeah, yeah. So, I I, I read that um, there were two assassination attempts on you. Yes. Yeah. One was in September two thousand and eight. And then the one last, just about this period, just Christmas period, and in Abuja, and that was the night I left Abuja. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm just curious. One of the things that we want to talk about is just the mm. economic impact of of corruption on on Nigeria. For, and maybe let me ask the question this way: For those four and a half years when when corruption was on the run, when it was harder for Nigerians to launder money abroad, when it was harder for corrupt people to launder money abroad, was there an impact on the on the economy and on the financial system that, that you could Amazing. measure? Really? Amazing. It's Talk incredible. As at the time when we started addressing prob- this problem in 2003, the country had probably $7 billion or so in its own reserve. By 2007, we had over sixty billion in our oil reserves. So, just to get that number straight, you said that you had that it, before two thousand three, you had seven billion dollars in reserves, and your in, in the uh, Nigeria had seven billion dollars in its own reserves. After after your efforts were underway, it had sixty billion. Is that what you said? Oh, uh, after of course, we were able to wipe out the uh, entire uh, foreign debt, which was at one point about thirty four billion dollars. But not just that. The entire economy changed. We had a boom in our capital market. The banks changed. The money flow of capital, instead of outflow of capital, we started witnessing a huge inflow, especially with the pressure that was put on those Nigerians who were taking money and keeping it outside. They began to return the money, and they started returning the money and investing it into our own economy. So if I'm a corrupt... so if I'm a corrupt governor somewhere and I have, you know, I'm take, I've taken $70 million and before 2003, I might have spent it on a villa in Paris and maybe my own Learjet. Instead, yeah. I have to keep it in the bank in Nigeria, basically. That is it. And that is the sad part of what I feel so angry with what is going on to our, in our country today. We had these wonderful things changing and coming our way. And then suddenly it has been reversed to the point, even those guys who are being brought to justice in the UK, the government goes out of its way to stop it and say we are not interested. It's not your business to help us. Leave that money to go, and we don't want you to do anything. Hmm. Yeah, the Nigerian so government sad. has said that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. What, what what lesson do you draw from this? Because on the one hand, you, you won for a while, but in the end, what happened is what seems to happen everywhere: is that someone makes a stab at it and it gets crushed. It's sad, but then it's not something that we give up. Uh, if you see. Uh, problems uh, that people are confronted with, uh, people will just, some people will have to step forward and make a sacrifice and then just pray that you will make it. Otherwise, there will be no change. There will be no change. And I've already gotten into this. There is nothing I can do. That is defining my life again. I, I, I have no any other thing than to continue 
to do what I believe is the right thing for my own country and for my own people. So, Dave, you talked to Nuhu a little bit after this conversation, and you, he, he talked to you about whether or not he's actually planning on going back anytime soon, right? He said he, yeah, he said he'd like to go back, but not now. It is just too dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things when you think about, like, there's economic development, and then there's, you know, sort of fearing for your life. Yeah, he said, I like my life, is what he said. He said <laughs> right. I, I like living. <laughs> right, right. I mean, my, my you know... I, I, I just it, – it seems like it's such a hard thing to get rid of. You need to have like a functioning court system. You need to have like lawyers and judges and police who aren't corrupt and just, you know, contract law and, I you know, an open and transparent government. It's, it seems like the hardest thing to tackle and yet unless you can really work on it, it's going to be very hard to get uh, other people to come invest in your country and build in your country and I don't know. Just, it seems like one of the toughest – toughest things. Right, right. I think that does it for us here today. We're going to be talking a lot more about corruption and economic development in Africa on future podcasts. Be sure to check out our blog, npr.org slash money, where you can see what we have to say even when we aren't podcasting. And send us an email, planetmoney at npr.org. Let us know what you think. And please, uh, no Nigerian fraud schemes. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. No, the truth because the